Uh, all right. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Uh, we welcome you on the regional forum for um, Central Asia ASEAN opportunities in trade, investment, and education. My name is Inka, and I'll be your host today. Uh, I welcome all of you from different parts of the world. This uh, initiative is organized uh, by the uh, by the Likwanyu School of Public Policy, Central Asia, and Caucasus Alumni Chapter and Middle East Institute. I will just give you a brief intro of how we came with the idea of organizing this event uh, with uh, Dr. Alexandra Arduño from uh, Middle East Institute. We were having pizza and uh, chatting over uh, things that we could discuss and uh, organize. And I think most of these ideas usually come on this kind of kitchen talks these days, since we are all mostly working from home and we don't get this chance to meet people much. So we thought of organizing this event, which will help to discover uh, and learn more about actually ongoing existing opportunities and the upcoming ones and the possible ones that could be extended to these two regions. So uh, I would like to start introducing the panel that we um, chose for this, uh, for this event. Uh, first, uh, I would like to introduce uh, Aika Bolat. She is LQI SPP alumni and program manager at the Frankfurt School of uh, Finance and Management in Germany. Prior to this, she worked in uh, different uh, development organizations such as World Bank, GIZ, European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, UNESCOP. In academia, ICA worked for world's best universities, uh, including NUS and Bacconi, and now she's working at Frankfurt. At NUS, she designed and delivered numerous executive education programs for governments in South Asia and Central Asia. And most importantly, ICA led the strategic partnership uh, project between NUS and Nazarbayev University to establish the first um, ever graduate school of public policy in Kazakhstan and Central Asia. So please help me to welcome ICA first. Uh, I would like to welcome our next speaker, uh, Birjan Mutanov. Birjan is deputy CEO of the AFC FinTech Club and chairman of the board of directors Venture Rocket Eurasia. He oversees the development of the FinTech ecosystem and implementation of the FinTech strategy under AFC since 2016. Birjan built a technology transfer business and directed investment, investments to Kazakhstan and Central Asia from Korea. He's alumni uh, of the MPA program in uh, SNU. In addition, he was in charge of investment and technological projects in Central Asia of the State Water Resources Corporation of Korea. He has experience in strategic consulting, company and deal structuring and business development in IT and fintech, and he'll discover more about these opportunities for us today. Uh, please welcome Bigjan. <laughs> um, it's so strange. I would like think that <laughs> I'm trying to think that there are applause in my head. <laughs> So uh, now I would so like. Let me help you out there. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Aljaz. <laughs> uh, uh, now I would like to welcome Athena Fu. Um, she is also LQISPP alumni and senior assistant director at the Ministry of Trade and Industry in Singapore. She coordinates emerging markets division, Latin America, Russia, and Central Asia. Athena manages, promotes, and coordinates Singapore's economic relations with countries in these regions. And prior to joining the ministry. She was with the trade division in Singapore Customs for three years, promoting and administering customs schemes that facilitate trade. Please help me to welcome Athena today. Thank you. Um, and 
Last but not the least, uh, I would like to welcome Aljaz Jean Kulov, CEO of Paladigm Capital, Singapore-based boutique fund house and principal at Tesla Capital, a Singapore early stage, step, stage impact venture capital. He's a fund manager and impact investor with over 10 years of experience in asset management, insurance, brokerage, investment strategy, financial modeling, anti-money laundering, company industry research, and due diligence. Oljas is also president at the Kazakhstan Asia Pacific Trade and Investment Chamber. Please help me to welcome Oljas. Thank you, Inkar. Very kind of you. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, and I'll, I'll be moderating uh, this talk. I'm not sure if we have Mr. Yerlan arrived. Uh, let me check. Okay. So now I would like to give a few words to uh, Dr. Alexandra Artunio, who was at the early stage of this uh, forum's ideas and who helped us to develop the structure and uh, to get this uh, uh, diverse panel. Uh, I would like to give him a word for introduction and then we can start the panel. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you for carrying all the weight in organizing this very important event. Why at the Middle East Institute at the University of Singapore, we are very interested uh, to look at Central Asia. We started uh, a while ago and we do sincerely believe uh, there is a possibility for an increase in uh, economic education and cultural partnership uh, uh, that include uh, uh, Central Asia and especially Kazakhstan and uh, and Singapore and East Asia. So I'm looking forward to, to listen and to learn from uh, all of you and uh, to interact with our public. And I do believe now that uh, Yerlan will jump in soon, but uh, I give you back the floor, Inkar, and uh, you can start. Thank you very much to all of you. Thank you, Alex. So uh, we'll start with um, speakers, the, the structure of this forum will be that each speaker will present about their experiences and insights on the opportunities, the existing ones, the upcoming ones, the ones that they worked on, they will share about uh, their journeys. And after that, we'll have Q&A session for 25, 30 minutes where, when the audience will be uh, able to ask their questions. And uh, yes, uh, we'll start with Aika. The floor is all yours. Um, you can start. Sure, uh, thank you, Inkar, uh, first of all, for your kind introduction. So let me share my, uh, I have a few slides to share. Give me a second. I hope it works. Okay, uh, can everybody see my slides? Yes, we can, thank you. Okay, great. Um, so first of all, yeah, before I get started, I would like to thank our Central Asia and Caucasus alumni chapter of LKY School, as well as the Middle East Institute of NUS for organizing such an interesting and relevant regional forum. And today I would like to share with you a successful story or an example of a partnership between Southeast Asia and Central Asia, specifically uh, between uh, Singapore and uh, Kazakhstan in education sector. So this could be an, uh, probably a, an example that could be helpful for the rest of Central Asian countries or in the Middle East. In this particular strategic partnership highlights how knowledge and technology can be transferred um, in between the regions or countries. And I will also emphasize on the importance 
important uh, factors that uh, make such a partnership uh, success impossible so the other countries could also learn from. Uh, so as you know, since uh, independence, uh, Kazakhstani government came up with many ambitious policies and strategies, uh, specifically to become one of the most advanced 30 economies in the world by 2050. And one of the strategies was, of course, to diversify the economy. As, as we know, we can no longer only rely on the development of natural resources like oil and gas. So therefore, it was very important uh, to start diversifying the economy. And uh, of course, we had to learn uh, from uh, other advanced countries like Singapore, Taiwan, Indonesia, or Malaysia. And uh, our first president, uh, Mr. Nursultan Nazarbayev, was um, a great admirer of uh, Singapore's founding father, uh, Mr. LKY. Uh, he often mentioned in his speeches that Kazakh policymakers need to uh, learn from Singapore's experience. Uh, and he also mentioned or wrote in his memoir that uh, Mr. LKY was his role model. Uh, so we have adopted many um, uh, useful policies from Singapore, of course, tailoring them for Kazakhstan's needs. Uh, and one of the policies was uh, to improve uh, the standards of higher education in Kazakhstan. Uh, so the first example I want to tell you is the, of course, the international um, scholarship program called Bolashak or Future uh, in English, uh, that our uh, first president uh, set up to, to support and send uh, promising young Kazakhstani talents to study at uh, leading universities internationally. And of course, the expectation is that they come back and contribute to the country's development. And secondly, in uh, 2012, uh, sorry, 2010, uh, the president also wanted to set up a world-class university in the heart of Central Asia, which is today's uh, Nazarbayev University. Uh, so to give you a little bit of also historical background here, the picture that you see here is uh, Mr. LKY receiving a very prestigious award uh, from Kazakhstan, uh, Order of Friendship. And this is because Mr. LKY himself was actually the first ever leader who visited Kazakhstan right after our independence, uh, unofficially. He went to Kazakhstan to offer his advice and support and of course, since then, there were several state level visits between the countries. And I think this very close uh, uh, friendship between the leaders of the two countries led to uh, many successful cooperation, not just in uh, education sector, but also in other sectors. Maybe my colleagues later on will uh, address that as well. Uh, so going back to the second um, initiative that is uh, that proved to be quite successful is the uh, Nazarbayev University project. And the goal of setting up this Nazarbayev University was while relying on the uh, international standards of education to prepare the next generation of innovators, scientists, um, educators, uh, engineers, uh, so they could uh, also help to diversify the economy and contribute to the transformation of the region. Uh, but to implement this uh, grand initiative, uh, there were three important factors that uh, I would like to share with you or highlight, uh, which is, of course, first of all, very high level of political commitment and financial commitment were necessary from the government side, from the leadership side. 
Uh, secondly, we needed expertise of leading international universities. There was no need to reinvent the wheel. So therefore, uh, Nazarbayev University is partnering with the leading universities, mostly from the US. In uh, the only Asian university that partners with Nazarbayev University is, of course, NUS. And finally, there was also necessity to attract uh, uh, both uh, local and international experts, um, uh, researchers, scientists to help to develop the university. Uh, and uh, also something to mention, uh, government also created a very special fund fund and a law to protect the university. So even if there is a financial crisis, the project would continue no matter what. So this was uh, very, very important to make the uh, partnership a success story. Uh, and currently, uh, Nazarbayev University has uh, seven undergraduate and graduate um, schools partnering with leading universities, as I said earlier. Um, and there are, I think, around 70 labs, uh, other funds available to support innovation and science, uh, and so on. And this partnership that we created between uh, NUS and Nazarbayev University was specifically to help set up the Graduate School of Public Policy, as uh, Inkar mentioned earlier. Uh, the goal of setting up this uh, public policy school was, uh, of course, to transfer knowledge uh, and best practices through public policy education and improve governance, not only in Kazakhstan, but also uh, Central Asia. Uh, and prepare the next generation of competent policymakers and managers to transform the region. Uh, so I, I would, I'm happy to say that uh, the knowledge is still uh, being transferred. Uh, LKOI school has 10-year contract with the Nazarbayev University, a uh, long-term term strategic partnership that we signed in 2012. Uh, and LKY school helps to design and develop all the master's degree, PhD programs, develop the um, research strategy. And our senior uh, professors from LKY school also visit uh, GSPP uh, to train and prepare the junior local uh, faculty members of GSPP as well. So the school is, um, uh, as of now, fully functioning. Uh, so far, GSPP has uh, produced more than 200 alumni. And small portion of the uh, alumni or students come from other countries, not just neighboring countries, including China, India, Russia, Mongolia, and other countries of Central Asia. Um, and uh, I want to show you this picture of a MPP, group of MPP students who Every summer they visit Singapore uh, in order to uh, have exposure to the advanced socioeconomic development of Singapore. LKY school organizes uh, a lot of interesting visits, meetings with local uh, policymakers, um, and it's really a very uh, interesting exposure for our Kazakh students. So in summary, I, I once again want to highlight that for such a partnership to be successful, what is really required is a strong political will, commitment from the leadership of the countries uh, or from the government. And of course, there should be also financial commitment. Uh, and it's not necessary again to reinvent the wheel. Uh, we have many um, supportive partners in Singapore, in other countries in Southeast Asia, so we can always rely on their expertise 
and um, uh, get their support. So this is what I wanted to share with you in briefly, and I'm happy to address if you have any questions or want to know more in detail about the partnership. Uh, we will have a Q&A session at the end of the uh, discussion today. Yeah? So thank you, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing my colleagues after this. Thank you, Inkar. Thank you so much, Aika, for introducing this cooperation. I think there are very uh, important takeaways from this. Uh, first is that um, when the country is uh, really having a, a very strong political and financial commitment, uh, the entire setting up of the structure, it's very important uh, not to have just a partnership which is entrusted for years, but it's also to have important to have a partnership which actually fits the um, the demand for uh, public policy uh, trainership in the country. And uh, the example of cooperation between LQI and NU, I think could be expanded to other Central Asian and ASEAN countries uh, with, uh, for example, the start of that. Uh, from my knowledge, Aika, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, some of the Bolashak stipends, they also cover, cover scholarships in Malaysia, right? Uh, in Malaysian universities. So I think this mm -hmm. would be yeah. a good start for um, countries to start cooperating with the higher educational institutions in other ASEAN countries. Thank you for um, explaining this model, Aika. Now I would like to give the word to uh, Bigjan, who will introduce uh, about the uh, FinTech and uh, AFC ecosystem. Um, thank you for joining us, Bigjan, the floor is yours. Colleagues, friends, uh, thank you for having me. And uh, just it, can you see my shared screen? Yes, can. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, actually, today I want to briefly explain what is happening uh, regarding the financial technologies, regarding the innovation, regarding the uh, venture capital, um, the what we are trying to build here uh, within the region of Central Asia regarding the uh, countries of CIS, uh, post-Soviet Union countries and how we can communicate with the ASEAN countries and especially with the Singapore. And uh, I'm responsible for the FinTech development of the AFC. And uh, let me briefly explain what is happening within the AFC in general. So we have the five core pillars uh, at this moment and we are trying to turn to the new model of the financial center. So here you can see the capital markets, asset management, private banking and Islamic finance as one of the core pillars. And the FinTech is um, a platforming and the ecosystemic, um, let's say, approach that have to develop the financial landscape, financial industry of the Kazakhstan uh, and the Central Asia countries. And uh, like as the AFC itself, we are um, uh, going to play a role of the financial hub for the whole region of the Central Asia, Kazakhstan region economic union, uh, which is the like have, uh, which have the uh, very like big potential and uh, we want to become a gateway between the e uh, Asia, between the East and between the West. Uh, so here um, regarding the capital markets, I would say that we already became that gateway because we've combined the two um, like big economies of the world, the USA and China, especially for the Astana International Exchange, we've invited to be a part 
as a technology partner, uh, the NASDAQ. So you all know about this um, key player in the world and the GP Morgan also became a shareholder of the Astana International Exchange. And from the other hand, the Chinese organizations like uh, um, uh, Shanghai Stock Exchange and the Silk Road Foundation also became the part of the uh, of these financial institutions. So that's the first case when the China and the US organizations are working together on developing the financial um, landscape of, of the of the like different region. So here, uh, why the AFC? So we are very expat friendly, and uh, so that's uh, uh, split it to our. Uh, so it's linked to our DNA. So Kanak people are really, really uh, uh, like expat friendly from the from the very beginning of our uh, like history. So here, what do we provide is a single window approach. So you're just writing, texting, or approaching to our uh, colleagues from the expat center, and uh, you'll get any kind of like governmental uh, services what do we provide and what our country provide. And uh, for your business, if it is regulated within the AFC, so you will get uh, zero corporate tax and the, for the expats, you will get the zero personal tax, in, income tax. Uh, so I want to little bit go deeper regarding the legal environment and what we are building as a jurisdiction. So uh, what we say as the AFC, the unique place uh, which played the key role uh, that uh, in the territory of the post-Soviet Union countries, every country uses the principles of the Roman-German uh, approach. And the Hong Kong, for example, or Singapore, uh, or the other like um, Asian Tigers are using the uh, so they, they are using the approach of the English common law system. So we've built the English common law system in the center of the uh, uh, like Roman Germanic approach. And so we are trying to uh, make a mindset shift. And so we are changing the minds, we are changing the approach, we are changing the business model and uh, everything is going English. Like, and that should be very understandable, very clear, very transparent and approachable to every expat and every investor, project holder, et cetera, et cetera. So, and we are also uh, trying to make the, our regulation more flexible. So uh, it's like, we can go deeper into history, like why uh, like Soviet, Union failed on the Cold War, right? Because of that, so one of the like uh, factors is actually the uh, like the judicial system. The second one is the regulatory frameworks. Because we uh, like, for example, the as a Kavak stand for changing some uh, stuff to make an innovation. So we need to change the laws. And when you are like ending up that procedure, maybe it's not. Uh, unnecessary already because uh, like uh, the time is fly and the time to market was gone and for the English common law so so you have to you have to provide all the benefits in the in terms of the regulatory framework that you can um, like every can benefit from this uh, kind of like ecosystem 
So this one is the AFC bodies and the, what uh, the general structure. So AFC had the AFC authority, which is mainly responsible for the strategy setting and responsible for the administrative tasks and the communication with the governmental institutions, including um, uh, quasi uh, governmental institutions within the Kazakhstan. So I already talked about the Astana International Exchange. So they have a lot of, uh, um, let's say uh, uh, like bonds obligations and uh, some other like uh, papers which is listed over there and uh, they have uh, listed the first uh, russian organization which is also um, one of the biggest uh, mining companies called polymetal and that they um, they listed in 2019 i guess and that they're uh, kind of like arriving so regarding the uh, legal framework, regarding the jurisdiction, what we are creating and uh, regarding the like flexible approach to developing the business models is, um, so here responsible uh, for that part is responsible AFSA, Astana Financial Services Authority. And uh, here AFSA closely works with the Monetary Authority of Singapore. And so we are building that bridge to exchange um, related to knowledge, related to the best practices, related to the sandbox model. Uh, sandbox, which is the special regime where you can go live without any kind of like strict restrictions or uh, requirements to go to, for example, to go to the market. Uh, so you can go um, to the web, like any website and search the the internet regarding the regulatory sandbox and you'll understand more about that type of approach. Uh, so here also our Astana Financial Services Authority working with the intellectual property of Singapore under the Ministry of Justice of Singapore in terms of developing the intellectual property industry within the Kazakhstan and to get that, um, uh, let's say, gate to the whole um, like world ecosystem of the intellectual property, because that is the one of the parts of developing uh, the new approaches and uh, uh, raving the innovation within the country. Because if you have any kind of like um, documentation that justify that the idea is yours, then it means like uh, investor will uh, like feel him safe. So that's why here. And um, we, we've invited to our ecosystem um, like English judges. So actually they were working for the English judicial system. And uh, so we have now 11 of them. So they are building our court system, which is like fully integrated to the Kazakhstani judicial, uh, judicial system. And we have international arbitration center where already like more than 400 cases were um, um, so like 400 issues were sold within the international arbitration center and we have other uh, like organizations but so the AFC which is responsible for the developing of green finance ecological stuff and uh, so regarding expat center or the talks bureau for continuing professional development BCPD is responsible for the talent development for the human capital because that's uh, foundation of developing of everything so we are uh, focusing on that uh, very deeply 
and the fintech. So we are developing the general uh, innovation regarding the uh, finance, etc., uh, etc. Et so more uh, deeper, if we go, the fintech hub is uh, so we uh, we call it like as a center of competence. So we need to know what we are developing. And uh, the fintech is um, uh, is developing within the AFC in two trajectories. The first one is the business development, what we do actually, and then the second part is the innovation. Um, like uh, it's a regulation, I'm sorry, and the sandbox approach where you can test bet your business approach, your technologies, your uh, business model, etc., etc including you can test our regulation and you can test the market and you, so you can go live uh, for example in one month or two months uh, much better if here um, I think I'm going to be finalizing my presentation so one of the um, things what we do right now and what is the like hot topic is the venture capital uh, so here we have a lot of uh, like business angels, private investors who are looking for the Central Asian markets. And uh, uh, one of the like biggest, uh, let's say funds, financial institutions came from uh, Singapore is uh, Quest Ventures. And they are together with the Castec Ventures, which is also a state organization responsible for developing the VC industry in Kazakhstan. So they together conducted Kazakhstan Digital Accelerator so they finalized the second batch and uh, for the first batch and second batch they totally provided 1 million usd i guess um investments to the startups and all of them uh came to the afc to structure their companies the first and to structure the deals because for the first time um on the territory of the post-soviet union countries were implemented the convertible nodes mechanism when the company when the startup attracts the money um, not only as a loan but they can convert it to the equity for example investor can turn to the equity uh, and uh, like reinvest more etc etc so that's the regime we, which is more understandable and uh, like more clear for everybody uh, which cannot be done within the connection jurisdiction so that's a differentiation and uh, what do we provide to to the like external investors? So, so, so this is a like short story what I can say about the AFC fintech. Right, thank you so uh, much, Bigjan. Um, I think AFC is a, a great institution that plays a pivotal role in positioning. Uh, Kazakhstan and Central Asia as a center for business and finance. Thank you so much for this introduction. I would like to give the floor to Athena, but before that, I would just like to mention that uh, we now have uh, our keynote speaker, counselor of the Embassy of Kazakhstan in Singapore, Mr. Yelan Kubashev, who joined us. He will be delivering his keynote speech after uh, the speakers are done with their presentations, so before the Q&A session. Now I would like to proceed uh, to our speakers. Athena, please, the floor is all yours. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I'm very grateful to be given the opportunity to speak today. As introduced by Inga, my name is Athena and I am a Senior Assistant Director with the Emerging Markets Division in the Ministry of Trade and Industry. 
uh, my primary role within the division is to lead my team on Singapore's economic engagement of the Central Asian region. Before I begin my sharing, I would just like to very quickly caveat that I will be speaking in my personal capacity today and not on behalf of MTI. And also, I do not have any slides. I realize the other two speakers have prepared very beautiful slides. Uh, today will just be a sharing of my views of my time in Kazakhstan and my work at MTI. So as the only non-Central Asian speaker on this panel, I would like to first start by sharing how my interest in this region began. Uh, before I joined MTI, I was pursuing my master's degree at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. So for those who are not familiar with the school, um, LKYPP has a partnership with the Graduate School of Public Policy at the Nazarbayev University in Kazakhstan. So part of this partnership included an exchange program, which I decided to apply for, because I thought it would be a very fun and enriching experience, and it was also a very perfect opportunity to widen my horizons, having never been to Kazakhstan or even known very much about it. I also thought it would be very interesting to be able to tell people about being part of uh, being in Kazakhstan because very few Singaporeans have ever been there or even know very much about it. Incidentally, I was also the first Singaporean student to participate in this exchange. And my exchange experience has been nothing but a very rewarding one. I learned a lot about the country and the region. I also picked up Russian and I have been learning it ever since. Uh, but more importantly, my time in Kazakhstan has left such a deep impression in me that when I returned to Singapore and I was looking for my for a job, I decided that I wanted to stay in touch with this region um, in some way, preferably within the civil service because I wanted to do policy work as well. And that led me towards my current role. So why is in Central Asia important to Singapore and how do we engage the region at MTI? Um, economic diversification has always been a very important mission at MTI, simply because we have benefited from being an open economy. And that task informs the need for us to expand our economic space, especially beyond the immediate region. So at the bilateral region, uh, sorry, at the bilateral level, countries like Kazakhstan offer our companies a springboard into the wider Central Asian region, while other countries like Uzbekistan in addition to its very large market size, offers a frontier economic space where our companies can enjoy early mover advantage. At the regional level, Central Asia's uh, strategic location in the Belt and Road, as well as its membership and links to the Eurasian Economic Union, makes Central Asia a region of growing economic importance to us. Correspondingly, we, en we engage Central Asia at both the, bil the bilateral and the uh, regional level. At the bilateral level, this would mean assessing and recommending the different ways in which Singapore should engage the region so that we can de develop bilateral um, trade relations in a way that is mutually beneficial and more importantly, sustainable. This would, of course, require an appreciation of the different economic profiles of each Central Asian country vis-a-vis -vis our own economic interests so that we can identify and propose meaningful initiatives. Pre-COVID, we would also from time to time conduct study visits to some of these countries to enrich our understanding of the economic realities on the ground. Outcomes of our bilateral economic engagements can range from executing official visits so that we can maintain ties at the political level to establishing memorandums of understanding so that we can collaborate on very specific sectors or any projects of mutual interest to simply just welcoming more Central Asian products and companies to Singapore and vice versa. 
at the regional level, our engagement has primarily been with the Eurasian Economic Union, whose members include Armenia, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, and Russia. We have been negotiating a free trade agreement with the bloc, and we have signed three agreements uh, under the FTA in October 2019. These agreements include the bilateral services and investment agreement with Armenia, as well as the non-services and investment agreement with the Eurasian Economic Commission and its member states. So the bilateral services and investment agreements with the remaining four members are still ongoing as we speak. When completed and enforced, we hope that and we expect the FTA to lower business costs for importers in the EAEU through lower tariffs and lifting of barriers, as well as create a greater confidence for more Singapore companies who are looking to enter the region. Specific to the EAEU, key benefits will include things like cooperation and institutional linkages on areas such as intellectual property, customs and e-commerce, as well as deepening trade linkages uh, between Central Asia and ASEAN and APEC. I should also add that a lot of our work in, involves working very closely with a variety of stakeholders, such as agencies like Enterprise Singapore and Singapore Corporation Enterprise to the Central Asian embassies in Singapore. We work with them to raise awareness of the various opportunities in Central Asia and promote relations at every level from the government to the business and even at the people-to-people -people level. And for instance, in the past year, we have been working very closely with the Uzbekistan Embassy in Singapore to promote bilateral food trade. Um, we worked with them to connect our importers with food exporters in Uzbekistan. And we managed to import a batch of dried apricots from Uzbekistan last October. We hope to be able to do more of that with Uzbekistan and the wider region in time to come. Um, my team and I have been very lucky to, be, to have been introduced to Central Asia cuisine and uh, culture in our official visits. In fact, last February, we just went up to Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and we actually paid a visit to AIFC. So it was really very nice to go there and see the entire ecosystem and the various startups that have decided to make the AIFC their home and to see a very vibrant uh, fintech ecosystem at play. Uh, we've also been very privileged to meet many like-minded colleagues and friends in the course of our work and travels. And we hope post-COVID, we will get to resume that as much as we can. Now, having had the privilege to learn about Central Asia, both from an academic point and professionally, uh, there are many opportunities, as the other speakers have mentioned. But I would just like to highlight that in addition to these two opportunities, there are two broad challenges, I would say, to greater economic cooperation between Central Asia and Singapore. So first, while there is potential for cooperation across a wide range of sectors from education, infrastructure, urban planning to food trade, which is what we are doing now, I think there needs to be much greater awareness at the people-to-people -people level for more opportunities and potential to manifest. I say this because um, Singaporeans, like myself, who know about the region, are not many. And I think that if we can continue to raise awareness on both sides, be it through student exchanges like what I have done, or through virtual exhibitions, seminars, or visits, so on and so forth, I imagine people on both sides will be able to discover more opportunities for collaboration, or just simply be convinced enough to spread the word. And I think that multiplier effect could really be very beneficial to more opportunities and for cooperation to come. And when the pandemic is over, I hope that we get more opportunities to travel freely again, because I do recognize the importance of bilateral tourism and its role as a catalyst for more trade. 
the second bigger challenge uh, to greater economic cooperation would be the lack of connectivity rather than the geographical distance. There is often the misconception that low trade flows are because of um, geographical distance on both sides. But I think if we follow that logic, then our bilateral trade with countries like the US should technically be lower than our bilateral trade with countries in Central Asia. But we know that isn't the case now. So I think in addition to stronger people-to-people -people ties, uh, greater connectivity would be very key and beneficial to increasing cooperation and relations. In the context of Central Asia, I would say that greater connectivity would, could be on two fronts. One is the physical front, so for example, more direct air connectivity and flights, so to facilitate greater movement of people and goods. And on the digital front would be greater services and e-commerce trade, you know, and that will facilitate greater economic cooperation in the long run. So in the work that my team and I do, we will always explore ways to deepen our ties with Central Asia. And if we can also similarly deepen the people-to-people -people ties and connectivity, I believe we'll be able to tap on more opportunities that both sides have to offer. And with that, I will end my sharing for now. Thank you for listening, and I'll be very happy to take questions. Thank you. Thank you very much, Athena, for, that in for those insights. I would just like to add that uh, we have also the uh, Eurasian Economic Union has also actually F signed FTA with Vietnam in 2015, and that resulted in an incredible increase in trade volume. So that would be also expected from the FTA signed between e Eurasian Economic Union and Singapore. And uh, with that, I would like to introduce our last speaker, uh, Ojas, please, uh, who would tell us more about uh, the the sorry, the investment opportunities in Singapore. So the floor is all yours. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Thank you, Inkar. Um, I'd like to start by thanking everyone who participated in jointly organizing this event. Um, and as in Inkar in particular, who I understand did all the heavy lifting, as Alex said. I, I believe events like this are important. I myself had the privilege of helping organize events like this uh, in, you know, in partnership with educational institutions and otherwise, um, for instance, the Almaty Singapore Business Forum in 2017 um, that was in, in tandem with various reputable Singapore-based educational uh, initiatives, as well as the Kazakhstan Singapore Business Forum, I think. The importance of that is, is to bridge, um, as Athena mentioned, a sort of a gap in understanding, bring the cultures together. But rightfully, it is a start. It is only a start and all, all depends on the follow-up, on practicalities of the relationship, on, on economic aspects. So that's, that's uh, what I would like to focus on in, in 10 minutes uh, of my speech. As Athena, I would like to caveat this, that I'm speaking in my personal capacity. Anything I say is not a, an official position of the enterprises I represent, so I don't have a presentation. But just to start off, um, Inkar, correct me if I'm wrong, but for the purposes of this, you wanted me to, to focus on the journey of a Central Asian entrepreneur in Singapore and my experiences of how Kazakhstan Singapore can partner up in, term, in the investment sphere and how, how this collaboration can benefit each other. Um, and if I'm correct, I'm going to start with, with myself. I am one of the few Central Asian entrepreneurs, uh, Kazakhstani entrepreneurs based, based in Singapore. I have been in Singapore for many years. I, I 
feel like a local. I love it here. Why? What are the reasons? What are some of the reasons I focused on or, or, or the reasons I decided to be based out of here while transacting uh, financial and investment business that I do? Uh, reasons are multiple. First and foremost, um, benefits of Singapore as a jurisdiction. Uh, they are obvious and there are many, starting with the fact that it, it, this is a very stable a very transparent economic environment, very very stable government, triple A rated, um, which which is a, a big achievement these days. Um, secondly, a, a very technocratic, I would say, government that has created a lot of, has developed infrastructure that makes it very easy to do business. Singapore year on year ranked either number one or number two for ease of doing business worldwide. Uh, because a lot of the, the services are easily accessible, procedures are very clear, everything is online. Uh, government is, 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 is predictable more or less in their policies. So for entrepreneurs like me coming to understand this, it, it makes it very easy to live with. Um, another great example and an achievement by the Singapore government is how the pandemic crisis was handled. Uh, there were ups and downs, but I think there was an exemplary um, uh, exemplary performance by various branches of the government to bring this to the state where it is today. Taxes. Um, everybody loves taxes in Singapore. There are just enough not to put Singapore into or classify Singapore as an, as an offshore jurisdiction, uh, but they are not high enough to, to be honestly to uh, to think of, of relocating here for tax purposes, definitely. Um, you know, especially compared to various European destinations. And, and that has yielded its results. Singapore is now actively competing with Hong Kong for certain positions as a financial hub. And in the foreseeable future, um, will we'll, is competing and, and will compete with Switzerland and could potentially overtake Switzerland, you know, in various positions as a financial hub. I think that's one of the um, it's it's a logical benefit of whatever Singapore has been doing. Um, so uh, another reason, uh, well, the, when relocating here, or at least when I was relocating, it was very easy to go through the immigration procedures, obtaining various passes, everything was transparent, easy to understand, very quick, especially compared to, again, various uh, European destinations. Uh, right now, the situation is a bit strained, of course, understandably so. Every government, more or less, is going through a certain nationalistic um, agenda, rightfully so. It's just in order to protect domestic employment markets. But outside of that, I think Singapore has done a great job in, in creating and, and fostering an infrastructure for, for relocation of, of entrepreneurs and, and skilled, uh, skilled professionals. And um, also, um, obviously, the, the, as, as our speakers previously have mentioned, double tax treaties and free trade agreements, depending on the, on the business you're in, 
Um, for me, it's the it's the double tax treaties with various emerging markets that are investment that are investment destinations. It's something that works really well. For example, um, Singapore and Kazakhstan have a double tax treaty that includes various provisions, including dividends, which makes structuring investment vehicles out of Singapore to do business in Kazakhstan uh, very efficient. Um, so there, there is a multitude of, of, of things one as such as myself can look for while looking at Singapore. And last but not the least, um, uh, it's, it's a bit of a personal sharing, I guess, at the time when I was moving. Singapore, I'd say, is, is, is more receptive of foreigners, skilled professionals of Asian origin, as maybe some, some of the other hubs. Uh, at times, you don't feel like a third-rate citizen here. Uh, and Kazakhstani passport is not scorned upon. Um, I'm being as practical as I can, I think, for the benefit. I don't like to mince words and waste time. So, so that's in a nutshell uh, it. Uh, what has been done in terms of, say, what, what, how we as Paladine have made use of this? Uh, we are a relatively young investment entity however we've grown pretty rapidly we have three internal funds we have an income fund called paradigm atlas again structured in singapore run under our, our regulated institution makes it very very easy to operate out of here regulator regime is transparent we can be based out of here and, and attract capital of people who want to bank outside of, for example, Central Asia and, and, and be based here for their maybe some of, of their long-term capital. I think that, that works. Also, we have a strategy called Paradigm Emerging Markets that is that goes the other way. Basically, we have, and I think we're the first, it's, it's the first of, of its kind. We have launched, launched it this year. It will be the first Central Asia Financial Inclusion Fund strategy based out of Singapore. I didn't find any other competitors in this field. We have already made a token deal. Paladine has bought um, as a Singapore-based investment management entity, has bought a stake in one of the largest microfinance institutions in Kazakhstan. Uh, you're probably one of the first to hear this. We have recently concluded this deal. And that's not the, that's not the end of it. We intend to become the household name for anyone interested in financial inclusion in Central Asia. Now we have we have uh, talked to, I have talked a lot, I think I have five more minutes left. I've, we've talked a lot about how, for example, Singapore is, is a great investment destination. Now let's let's talk how how this this can lead to increased partnership and why Central Asia is is is, is an area Singapore should consider. Or, or Singapore-based investors should consider in their future. Um, for, for instance, financial inclusion or investing into various financial enterprises or financial institutions that benefit micro, small, and medium enterprises or financial institutions that promote women entrepreneurship or, or, or banking for the underbanked, that has been an ongoing investment thematic in Southeast Asia in ASEAN countries. And Singapore has been one of the hubs to be based upon and enter these markets, Indonesia, Malaysia, um, Myanmar, which unfortunately is undergoing a coup. 
Now, if you look at the multiples that Southeast Asia has enjoyed due to years of stability and development, they are three to five times higher um, or maybe more depending on the, on the sector com as compared to Central Asia. So Central Asia is the next investment frontier where structurally changing economies and cultures could lead to extensive growth in multiples. Um, obviously, you have a financial hub um, that, but you need to venture out of this financial hub. You need an investment destination. Singapore has, has great makings to, to be a, one of the financial hubs that, that could be a gateway uh, to Central Asia. Yes, there is an AIFC um, that's uh, a regional phenomenon, which is great. However, um, I think in collaboration with Singapore, we could extensively increase that effect. Um, Central Asia as an emerging market causes challenges. Well, obviously, so does Southeast Asia. I mean, yes, there has been relatively stable governments, but there are unfortunately episodes where countries fall back into previous stages of development and that causes investment loss. That happens to any country that can happen in any region. But we personally, as a group, believe that Central Asia is undergoing through that growth spurt, if I may, through the transformation that could lead to essentially that increase in multiples through which Southeast Asia has gone through. Uh, that's a unique opportunity. Um, investors based out of here could be focused at, and that is something that we want to offer here. If, if you want to participate in that, if you want to enable financial inclusion in Central Asia, we are, uh, we're here to help. Uh, my apologies. How, how are we on time? When should I stop? I, I love my voice, so I'll keep talking. <laughs> Just a few minutes. <laughs> Two minutes. Just a few minutes. All right. So while I have a few minutes, let me talk about, let me touch on something else that I um, uh, wanted to touch on today. That is my personal venture investment vehicle called Tesla Capital. That is also based out of S Singapore. Uh, that is something uh, I think Bejan mentioned, uh, Quest Ventures. So there was a historic deal recently. A Kazakhstan is, or a startup called Clockster raised uh, 750,000 US dollars in Series A. And the lead investor was Quest Ventures with uh, I think half a mil and the rest were um, other, or other investors joining the round. So now that is a uh, one of a kind. It is the first investment round that has been um, led by a, an institutional uh, Singapore-based venture fund. Um, it, it hasn't happened before. And I think that that puts a new, a new um, um, page in the relationship. I was a seed investor in that project. So I, I led the first institutional round for that company uh, together with a Kazakhstan-based a venture fund called ABCI2BF, which is another joint venture of Nazarbayev University and, and, and a, a US-based um, I2BF um, LLC, I think. So I led the round, they joined in, and then the next round was even more remarkable. Um, and, and I think that's, uh, again, I call this deal historic because I think that that sets an example of what can be achieved for this young venture market 
again, that's something Singapore could look on with, with vast expertise as Southeast Asia's uh, venture hub. Uh, rightfully so, there are multiple opportunities for investment at cheap multiples and then scaling this technology to South, Southeast Asia using Singapore. Um, I've invested uh, through var to, into various, I have in my portfolio about 10 early, early stage projects a lot of them have relocated to Singapore uh, uh, to put their holding companies. A lot of them have raised rounds, some, sometimes with my assistance, sometimes on their own. And there is obviously this great um, a joint venture between or, or a partnership between Castec Ventures and uh, Quest Ventures um, called Kazakhstan Digital Accelerator, KDA. I mentor there quite a bit. I see what kind of projects go through there. I see what kind of young minds are benefiting from that. And I think that's great. I think that is exactly the type of collaboration that leads to sustainable, responsible, and, and beneficial investment returns for Singapore-based entities as well as Kazakhstan-based entities. Um, there are various examples of, of cross-border business in Kazakhstan's and Singapore's past. Some of those examples are not very pleasant. Some of them are really good. So this is another opportunity to make this history better. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Ojas. I think these are very uh, important insights from the industry. And um, with uh, on that note, I would like to give uh, the floor to our keynote speaker. Uh, most awaited uh, Ilan Kubashev, the Councillor of Republic of Kazakhstan in Singapore. Mr. Ilan, uh, the floor is yours. Uh, uh, thank you very much, uh, Inga. Thank you uh, thank, uh, to organizers of this event, and especially Mr. Alessandro and uh, to uh, Middle East Institute and to our uh, speakers, uh, participants, and to all the participants in this uh, 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 event. Sorry for uh, being late and not being <laughs> able to give the key sp uh, speech at the uh, beginning of the event, but I, I believe that at the end it will be even more interesting because uh, otherwise I would not be uh, able to also uh, add uh, to my uh, uh, speech, uh, this uh, key points that were uh, noticed by the previous speakers uh, in the, uh, when they were speaking. Uh, first of all, uh, I would like to mention that uh, this year we are celebrating in Kazakhstan 30 years of independence. And uh, during these 30 years, uh, Kazakhstan uh, has reached a lot of uh, in its development, but uh, we are not uh, uh, stopping on that and uh, the plans for uh, our development are pretty ambitious and we are sitting in our government and president uh, put the task for the government to uh, proceed on and to uh, so to say uh, make our government uh, to um, more uh, social oriented uh, to listen to the people, to the needs of the people, and uh, most of all, to uh, uh, implement all those experience that we 
encountered during the fight against the COVID situation and to learn more uh, from the world experience about uh, how, uh, where the world is uh, going, how it is developing, uh, which uh, best practices we can implement in Kazakhstan so that we um, be able uh, for post-COVID uh, world. Of course, uh, during, uh, within these reforms, uh, the uh, most uh, uh, like uh, focus is given is, uh, is given to economy and investments. For example, uh, our uh, Ministry of Foreign Affairs now is uh, responsible for uh, the third years for the uh, work to um, bring more uh, investments uh, to Kazakhstan. Uh, under the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the Committee of Investment is. Uh, uh, like uh, become a, a substructure of our ministry uh, as well as Kazakh Invest. We are working together uh, with uh, those uh, two arms uh, and the representative of Kazakh Invest is uh, based here in Singapore and he's covering uh, not only Singapore and East uh, Southeast Asia but also the East Asia. Uh, so uh, if uh, today I see 40 participants uh, participating in this uh, uh, webinar. I hope that uh, many of uh, these participants are not only participating, not only from the academic point of view, but also have some interesting proposal for cooperation and uh, economic cooperation. So uh, I would invite uh, to get in touch with uh, the, the embassy and uh, Kazakh Invest representative here so that uh, we could uh, together look into it and uh, also uh, we have a uh, representative from uh, MFSA, uh, AFC uh, who uh, uh, just uh, delivered the speech and uh, Aljas, uh, also our partner uh, from uh, private business, uh, represented Kazakh business here in Singapore and Southeast Asia. Uh, all, all of these arms are uh, open, uh, so uh, please contact uh, any of us. We are ready to uh, discuss and to hear to you. Uh, next, what uh, I wanted to say that despite the uh, COVID situation, um, for example, in 2020, uh, according to the data of uh, National Bank, uh, investment from uh, Singapore uh, amounted to uh, more than $150 million. Uh, it shows that uh, actually, um, Post-COVID uh, situation is uh, not a uh, big problem, uh, not, uh, not, not that big, <laughs> big problem as it was uh, uh, calculated before uh, COVID and during COVID. Uh, and as uh, Ms. Athena uh, from the MTI mentioned, the geographical uh, distance is not uh, much problem. The, more problem is the connectivity. We are also in, encountering this problem uh, when we are trying to uh, establish a trade uh, import-export operation. Unfortunately, uh, the lack of uh, direct connectivity is a big problem. Right now, uh, there is uh, because of the uh, Chinese policy and uh, I mean, uh, Chinese government is uh, uh, paying more attention to and structuring its policy on the trade issue. Uh, there were uh, several uh, COVID, uh, uh, like uh, uh, hotspots. Uh, that's why it um, brought, according to the uh, newest information, it brought uh, uh, 
uh, to the some kind of uh, temporary hold uh, on the trade between Kazakhstan and China. It also uh, uh, bad influence in uh, our uh, in, uh, like efforts to start our uh, trade uh, operation with uh, Singapore and East uh, Southeast Asia. But uh, we are looking, uh, we are very positive on that. Uh, we have uh, right now, I contacted uh, uh, a lot of companies by myself uh, in Kazakhstan and Singapore. There is a big interest. The only uh, problem uh, is uh, the logistical issues. If uh, any one of you uh, participating here has any suggestion, we are open again <laughs> for, for discussion and for proposals. Uh, please uh, contact us. Uh, we will uh, bring into the discussion uh, Castrate and Cas Industry, uh, two arms of uh, Ministry of uh, uh, Industry and Infrastructural De and Development uh, that are uh, authorized uh, to assist with the uh, trade issues in Kazakhstan. Uh, from uh, Singaporean side, we are in close contact with uh, SBF, uh, Singapore Business Federation and uh, Enterprise Singapore. Uh, there are uh, also other uh, federations uh, like uh, trade chambers and so on. Uh, all of them uh, have an interest. The thing is that uh, uh, for now, uh, our biggest issue is connectivity and we are working on it. And there are positive uh, signs that we could implement it uh, after COVID situation improves. Uh, then uh, I would also um, uh, say that uh, our uh, work uh, in Singapore, our embassy in Singapore, are uh, not only working on just uh, uh, like uh, some projects and uh, trade, but uh, we already have implemented uh, last year uh, several uh, uh, projects. Uh, uh, one of it uh, already was mentioned, that is a uh, cooperation with uh, Quest Venture and uh, the, uh, its participation in Kazakhstan Development Accelerator. Uh, several uh, startups are working with uh, Quest Ventures. And uh, besides that, uh, there is a, um, uh, I, I believe that uh, Bigjan Mutanov should know more about it, but uh, I, we have the information that uh, some companies from uh, Astana Hub uh, which is located at the uh, Astana International Financial Center, uh, are planning to visit uh, Singapore uh, very soon uh, to look into more uh, cooperation on these uh, startups and uh, uh, technology, uh, technological and uh, in, uh, financial uh, projects. Besides that, uh, last year we uh, have implemented uh, Singapore and investing in Kazakhstan have implemented uh, such uh, projects as uh, uh, cement uh, plant uh, in Almaty region, uh, then uh, uh, like oil uh, service uh, production uh, in uh, Mangistau region, and uh, in North Kazakhstan region uh, there were some uh, feeding, uh, feeding uh, plants for uh, chickens and uh, birds. Uh, in next year and uh, current year and next year we have uh, more than uh, eight uh, projects, uh, common pro uh, joint projects 
uh, under uh, consideration and we hope that most of these projects will be launched this year and uh, will be implemented until 2025. Uh, that uh, shows that uh, COVID situation influencing, of course, but uh, not that much. Uh, besides that, uh, the new opportunities that uh, the distant uh, cooperation uh, like uh, and new technology uh, has uh, uh, led us uh, to uh, focus more on is the cooperation between the uh, educational uh, centers and think tanks. Uh, first of all, uh, we are in, um, considering uh, several uh, projects uh, with the Singaporean uh, educational centers and universities to open uh, their branches in Kazakhstan uh, next uh, five, five years. Uh, but moreover, uh, Kazakhstan and Singaporean think tanks uh, right now uh, looking for uh, cooperation and starting cooperation in five uh, different areas. It is uh, uh, publishing of uh, uh, articles, uh, then uh, participating in each other's uh, events, uh, exchange of uh, students and uh, teachers, uh, arranging joint events and arranging uh, joint studies. Uh, and uh, to um, finish with my uh, presentation, I would like to uh, inform you that uh, last year we were looking to uh, have the um, uh, visit of uh, our president to Singapore. Unfortunately, due to COVID situation, uh, it was not uh, uh, done, was not realized. Uh, nevertheless, uh, this year in Singapore, as you uh, well know, we have uh, Singapore will host the World Economic Forum in August. We are looking for a high level delegation uh, to come uh, to uh, Singapore to have uh, uh, meetings uh, with uh, uh, leaders of uh, uh, foreign countries, including uh, with the leadership of uh, Singapore. And uh, next uh, couple of years, uh, uh, we uh, if uh, the situation will improve, we are looking for uh, a new start with, of uh, cooperation with Singapore, especially in economic fields. And we uh, uh, like uh, look at this uh, cooperation between Kazakhstan and Singapore as a new bridge between Central Asia and uh, Southeast Asia. Uh, so uh, I would uh, like to invite all of you to uh, think about any projects that you could uh, propose to us that uh, would be interesting. Uh, you think it is interesting and uh, mutually beneficial. Uh, we are ready. Uh, our, uh, we have, uh, I'm sitting in the <laughs> <laughs> it's a, a buy room, but we are planning to open uh, uh, when uh, the situation improves. We are planning to have the virtual uh, uh, like expo of Kazakhstan products in our embassy and uh, uh, we'll be uh, ready to assist with your ideas and projects. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Irlan, for your kind note. Thank you so much. Uh, I think we all learned a lot uh, from that speech. And uh, now I would like us to proceed to the Q&A part. I think it's very exciting uh, to have the direct interaction with the speakers. I encourage uh, the person who's asking the question to turn on their camera and make the webinar more livable. So I would like to give the floor to Jenny. Um, the LQI SPP MPA alumni. 
She's working currently in Kyrgyzstan at the UNDP. Um, she has a question for Athena, I think. Jenny, the, the floor is yours. Hey, thank you so much, colleagues. Uh, I'm really, really very glad to see there's another wonderful event of our LQSBP, Central Asia and the Caucasus Alumni Charter. So this time we are in a partnership with Middle East Institute. So my name is Jenny. Uh, together with Dinara in Car, now we are serving this uh, alumni charter. So glad to see all of you again. As already mentioned, I'm from Kyrgyzstan. I'm a neighbor of Kazakhstan. <laughs> so I understand like today's session is more on between Singapore and Kazakhstan, right? So I do hope uh, more dialogues can be follow up with more states from our region can be also uh, engaged in such a communication. Okay, talking about doing business in Singapore, we mean not just in Singapore because Singapore is a red spot as Singaporean used to say by themselves. So according, based on my understanding and the communication with many Singaporean businesses, this, um, this said doing business in Singapore, it means doing business in ASEAN or even to the global uh, market. So that's why it's totally understandable for Central Asian businessmen. We want Singapore because of ASEAN and global markets, but I'm still a little bit struggled with figuring out why or what Singapore businessmen can be interested in our market especially in trade. As you understand, there's a basic facts, the whole population, if you combine five countries all together, we are only 74 million. Um, we don't even do trades good enough among our Central Asian states. And we are also in a very landlocked region. Logistically, it's not desirable. It's already mentioned by, um, uh, by our Yernar, Mr. So could you please share more perspectives? This is a question to Asna. Could you please more share more perspective from Singaporean? businesses on the more on economic sense, because I understand in your speech, you mentioned about BRI and the Eurasian Economic Union. Sorry, my personal opinion, it is more like uh, maybe political element in this uh, decision-making, but why, what specifically can Singapore businesses uh, interested in our market? I will appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, I will just share from what I understand uh, from the Singapore perspective, which is that generally, as it is in emerging markets, we are looking at a very, very small number of companies that are willing to be curious enough to venture in outside of the immediate region. So talking about Central Asia, we are working with a very small and very niche group of companies. And these companies that express interest in Central Asia usually do so because they recognize very specific um, opportunities. And I say this for in, uh, in areas such as, for example, master planning, education and pre-COVID in certain countries like Uzbekistan, there was some bright spots in the tourism and hospitality sector. But that's it, even so there was probably maybe less than, I don't know, five companies that actually were starting to express interest in it. So I get, I agree with your point that there are very few companies, Singapore companies that may be interested in the Central Asian region, but there are still some, albeit very low. and. For our work in MTI, we usually work very closely with this group because we believe that once we, we work with these companies and we try and we enjoy some uh, very small but visible success, we are able to attract more companies. So I think it's a question of time. I think at this point, relations from an economic perspective are still a bit low, but and also it, there's some setback in the form of COVID and other things. But I think when we look at it from a longer term, we believe there will be more opportunities 
uh, in that sense. Now, from a G2G level, from me having looked at the economic um, profile of Central Asia, Central Asia is, has a very young, growing middle-class population. The benefits may not be so apparent now, but I think in time to come, a lot of these economic or commercial opportunities will come from this reality, which is that you're going to have a larger growing middle populations were uh, able to demand greater and better quality of services and goods. And that therein lies um, further opportunities for companies to then go in, maybe not now, but in perhaps five to 10 years time or maybe even 20 years time. Um, as it is before COVID, we already, we already started to see some demand in say the education sector. So having such a young uh, and large population, there was a uh, very high demand for, say, uh, tertiary education. There was a lack of tertiary education providers in Central Asia uh, for very young preschool education uh, service providers. And that's where some of our companies who are in that sector started to realize that if they wanted to expand beyond the immediate region, they needed to look at frontier markets and Central Asia was, for some of them, on their radar. Um, Sorry, I'm a bit going a bit all over the place. I apologize for that. Uh, the other thing is that you, I noticed in your question that you pointed out that Central Asia is a very landlocked region and therefore it presents its own logistical challenges. Uh, I don't dispute that. That has presented some challenges, which is also why I brought up the point that um, connectivity needs to be there, uh, be it in physical or in the digital sense. Uh, for countries that have this kind of, that present this kind of uh, barriers to trade, I would say, uh, I think the more, for lack of a better word, appro appropriate approach to this is to then focus on things like service trade services, your e-commerce, your retail solutioning providing, because I think that would overcome the issue of logistical challenges. And in today's uh, in today's day and age, how we um, you know promote trade or establish trade links, a lot of it is through the digital sphere already. We don't just look at the physical movement of goods. Uh, we also we also explore a lot of other areas, like some of the other panels have started mentioning, like fintech, or yeah, and those kind of areas. And I think to sum up, there is some, there are still opportunities. It's just that we're looking at very niche companies, very niche sectors, and I think it's a question of time. It just needs we need more companies to be aware of these sectors and coupled with the other economic realities like a growing population with a higher demand for services and goods, uh, we believe that would improve in time to come. I hope that answers your question. Thank you so much, Athena. Thank you, Jamie, for your question. Can I also uh, add to what, to this uh, question, yeah. Uh, yeah, I would uh, totally um, agree with uh, Athena about uh, what uh, the possible interest uh, could be for Singaporean companies in Central Asia, but I would like also to add uh, several um, uh, things to it and several points. Uh, first of all, uh, as I already mentioned, uh, the 2020s showed that uh, the uh, uh, volume of investments uh, have not uh, diminished uh, much, but it is uh, more than 150 million uh, in portfolio investments and uh, other investments uh, to uh, Kazakhstan. Uh, it shows that uh, dividends uh, from uh, those investments are much higher than uh, the current situation in Singapore. 
can uh, pay back to uh, potential investors. Uh, so uh, our market, that means that our markets is uh, in some areas are more uh, even, uh, look uh, preferable uh, for foreign investors than uh, the local markets where the uh, uh, dividends or interests from investment could be uh, about uh, maximum 4% or so, but in Kazakhstan uh, the interest is much higher. Uh, we also, uh, I, I would also uh, say that uh, the uh, trade is, uh, uh, we have uh, not, not the big trade, but uh, our trade is uh, about uh, $100 million. Uh, so uh, in, uh, it falls from uh, the uh, peak of five, more than $500 in 2018. Uh, but by that time uh, in 2018, the uh, most uh, important product that was uh, uh, sold from Kazakhstan was oil and uh, oil. Uh, actually, now it is uh, more varied. Uh, we are little by little uh, are enhancing the uh, export uh, uh, product line, uh, and uh, hope that uh, after, after COVID situation, this product line will be. Uh, also including more and more products, uh, food products and food and beverage products and uh, services as well. Uh, on, for this, we are working together with Minister of Trade and Industry of uh, Singapore to sign the uh, services and uh, investment agreements uh, bilateral uh, that uh, hopefully will uh, make it more easier for businessmen to, uh, from both sides to do the mutual um, projects. Uh, I would like to also to remind that Singapore, uh, uh, one of the uh, big experts of Singapore is its experience, uh, how this, uh, the country has developed and uh, exporting its uh, knowledge and experience to uh, foreign countries. It is uh, not a secret that uh, since our independence, Kazakhstan uh, copy and pasted uh, many of uh, Singapore reforms in uh, Kazakhstan, and we are trying to do it uh, even now in many areas. Uh, and uh, that also uh, established a very um, big niche where we can cooperate between uh, our two countries. And uh, but besides that, uh, I believe that uh, the technological area, uh, sphere is a very uh, promising one because uh, last year um, the IPO of Caspi Bank uh, and uh, the operation, uh, the last uh, uh, news of uh, Forbes uh, uh, most uh, <laughs> rich people showed that uh, in Kazakhstan list of billionaires uh, uh, there are uh, to, uh, three people, uh, two from Caspi Bank, uh, with, which uh, made an IPO in Kazakhstan in technological sector, and the other one was Timur. Uh, uh, what is what was his name? <laughs> Sorry for forgetting it. Uh, Timur Tarakulov or something like that, who also uh, uh, made his uh, fortune because of technological uh, spheres in Kazakhstan. Uh, he is uh, actually a Russian. Uh, uh, businessman who uh, moved to Almaty, stayed in Almaty, developed his business in Almaty and became a billionaire in Almaty. So uh, I believe that uh, 
these two examples show that uh, we have a lot of uh, spheres, of, uh, not only between Kazakhstan and uh, Singapore, but uh, the platform of uh, Astana International Financial Center is targeting uh, to provide the uh, platform uh, to for cooperation, not only uh, in Kazakhstan, but to uh, also uh, uh, include the arrays of Central Asia and uh, Euro Eurasian uh, Economic uh, Union uh, and use the benefits of uh, English uh, of common law uh, so that uh, the project could be implemented uh, in on all the territory of all those neighboring countries. And I believe that uh, the need for, uh, of, for of every uh, country for the post-COVID development <laughs> Uh, will provide a lot of uh, interesting uh, arrays for cooperation. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Yerlan. Thank you. Um, as our time for webinar has come to end, so some of our speakers have to leave, but I would like to ask uh, those who can to stay because we have more interesting questions. We also have our chapter president to deliver a short note. So if you could stay for 10, 15 more minutes, but if you have to go, please uh, go ahead with your schedules. Thank you very much for those who will, will be leaving us now. And for those who will be staying, we, we will read out uh, the questions now. My apologies, I will have to jump out. Everyone, thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here today. Uh, I have other duties to attend to and I hope this uh, the, remaining, uh, the remainder of the Q&A session goes well and productive. Have a good day. Thank you, Ojas. Thank you. Bye, Ojas. Bye. Okay. Our next question is from uh, Aaron Nair. He is a LQI SPP MPP program alumna. And uh, the question is about the Islamic finance. Aaron, if you can unmute yourself and ask me a question. Thank you. Thanks, Inka, for moderating. Uh, thought it was a splendid job and also a you know, very illuminating session as well. Also, a Ramadan Bubarak to all. Uh, who's celebrating. Uh, hope you all have a very uh, uh, you know, blessed uh, month ahead as well. Uh, just wanted to, uh, yeah, to leverage on that question that I asked and you know, uh, how is Central Asia uh, leveraging on the potential Islamic finance? I think that's quite an obvious uh, growth potential there. Um, I mean, I come from, I, I come from Malaysia. I, I still hold a Malaysian passport. Uh, you know, in Malaysia, we have kind of worked ourselves to a point of, uh, you know, being a hub of sorts for uh, Islamic finance. And I was wondering if, with all this growth uh, happening in, uh, you know, in the region in terms of capability, competency, and also just the size of the market growing as well, uh, with a lot of you know uh, disposable income and liquidity, uh, is there room for growth in that regard? And the second question is, you know, I think the elephant in the room is COVID as well, right? How has COVID uh, affected, uh, you know, business, but uh, you know, the potential for businesses in? the region growth uh, strategies has that, you know, thrown a curveball of some sort. Uh, has that also uh, opened new ways in doing business for the region? You know, has, has there been any movement towards, you know, uh, diversification or, you know, um, you know, is there any, for example, interest in uh, boosting cap uh, capacity in cold chain storage or, you know, even a vaccine production as well, which is, you know, uh, you know quite a pertinent matter this day and age. So yeah, I just wanted to hear uh, some comments from uh, you know those in the know. Thanks so much. Thank you, Aaron. I would like us to ask Vikram to take this question. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your question. So um, I will try to respond to your question on behalf of my colleagues, but I'm not the professional on the Islamic finance. 
so here we are conducting the several um, type of activities on development of the Islamic finance as um, this direction is one of the key pillars of the EFC. And uh, we are um, like focusing on that. And as I told before that uh, we are uh, really focusing on development of the human capital. And um, we are uh, we have the uh, special courses within the BCPD, uh, which is called like IFQ, uh, Islamic Finance Qualification from the CISI. Uh, so we have the press CSAA and we have um, uh, partners from the Bahrain, like ADIF, BABF. So they're also uh, conducting several types of um, uh, like work. So like starting from the Islamic commercial law, like banking operations in Islamic finance, uh, Islamic equity operations, uh, like Islamic financial institutions, like Sharia review, internet Sharia audit, et cetera, et cetera. So I've been also passing that type of like courses. And uh, uh, I think that you're pretty sure, uh, aware about the INSEIF. I think that they are the, from Malaysia and they are uh, one of the first, our partners who are conducting uh, that type of activity on development of the, like of conducting some programs for the students. And then from the other hand, we have the hub for Islamic finance and the business, Islamic business. And, and also, we uh, at the FinTech Hub uh, trying to work with the startups in uh, Islamic finance field. And at the moment, we have three companies, uh, three startups um, uh, who are working in the region of the Central Asia. So that's a few, but we still have the place to grow. Uh, regarding the hub of the like Islamic finance, so they are uh, responsible for the development of the regulation of the rules and regulations on the Islamic finance. So we have the uh, Takaful, Retakaful, and some others, like um, uh, some other types of regulation uh, in Islamic finance. And uh, if you want to go uh, more deeper, uh, we can send you the material um, like Islamic finance master plan for the Republic of Kazakhstan. So that's a strategic document. Uh, which is prepared by our partners, with our, by our consultants, and, uh, under the technical assistance of the Islamic Development Bank. So IDB is also supporting Kazakhstan on uh, developing and uh, focusing on that um, part of finance because that there is a huge market which, which is like um, wants to came, wants to come to, to, uh, to like Central Asia, like, to be honest. Thank you. I learned a lot from that. Thanks. Thank you, Bikshan, for that answer. Um, thank you, Aaron, for your question. Uh, now we have a question from Clemens Che, the research fellow at the Middle East Institute. I'm going to read it out. So I would like Aika to take this question. Thanks to the speakers for outlining the existing opportunities. Beyond bilateral relations between Kazakhstan and Singapore, could there be windows on the regional level, that is to say, between ASEAN and Central Asia? Should there be a deepening of interregional ties in areas such as education? Yeah, this is really an important and interesting question. Thank you, Clemens, for raising this. Uh, I think there is definitely a need, and uh, there is, at least from Central Asia's part, there is such a platform that already exists uh, under Nazarbayev University every year. Nazarbayev University hosts um, um, international higher education forum, 
where they invite all the partner universities from around the world, plus researchers, scientists, uh, educators from all over Central Asia, Mongolia, China, Russia, and so on. So this is uh, one platform that already exists where uh, knowledge sharing, experience sharing is happening. Um, and I think it's really the right way for the rest of Central Asian countries to approach and leverage on Nazarbayev University's experience and expertise um, without going really further away. Uh, when I think about LKY School, LKY School was also uh, established based on the Harvard Kennedy School's model. Uh, and then later on, LKY School helped to set up the Graduate School of Public Policy at Nazarbayev University. So um, I would say that it would be much easier for the rest of Central Asian countries to, um, um, to approach Nazarbayev University and learn from their experiences. Uh, and through this um, platform, um, uh, other ASEAN countries could also join um, and uh, maybe participate in the uh, annual uh, higher education international forum at Nazarbayev University and start the discussions from there. Um, already uh, using this uh, platform that exists in the center of Central Asia. Um, uh, so but other than that, uh, if my colleagues, maybe Athena uh, is aware of any other existing platforms that already exists for information sharing, between ASEAN and Central Asian countries, maybe you can share as well. Right, thank you so much, Aika. Thank you for those insights. Yeah, uh, uh, if, uh, with your permission, I would like also to add uh, uh, some points to uh, what uh, Ms. Aika Bolat uh, just mentioned. Uh, for, um, yes, I understand the question, uh, there was a, a question about the regional level uh, cooperation, uh, especially in interreligious ties and uh, in arrests such like education. Uh, concerning the interreligious ties, we, I would like to mention that there is a uh, Congress of uh, leaders of uh, uh, world and traditional religions uh, that was initiated by Kazakhstan and uh, is uh, held by Kazakhstan every three years. We are working to, uh, very uh, closely with uh, ASEAN countries uh, on the participation of uh, its uh, religious leaders in uh, this forum, uh, including Singapore. Uh, participation from Singapore was uh, in last uh, in 2010 uh, by Imam uh, Abbas Alatas, uh, uh, which is a pr pretty uh, well-known Imam here in Singapore, and uh, we will uh, work together uh, with Singapore on participations uh, in this Congress uh, in the future and with ASEAN countries as well. As regarding to the uh, inter uh, cooperation in education, uh, a lot of Kazakhstani students are studying uh, not only in Singapore, but uh, many are studying in Malaysia, especially, uh, which provides a very uh, good education as well. And there are uh, our Kazakhstani students in uh, uh, Indonesia uh, uh, and uh, other countries. Uh, but uh, the most uh, like uh, uh, progressive cooperation is in tourist uh, area where uh, people from uh, our region are 
and you are visiting uh, Southeast Asia for uh, a vacation and for uh, like uh, learning tourism. Uh, not on, uh, sorry, uh, return back to education. Uh, we have a lot. Uh, we our students are participating in many of vocational uh, studies as well, uh, especially during summer uh, program and uh, to learn uh, English and uh, foreign languages. Uh, then, uh, now return back to uh, tourism. I would say that um, uh, not only uh, tourists from Central. Asia are visiting Southeast Asia, but uh, areas like, uh, especially in uh, Uzbekistan, as uh, Mr. Tenafu uh, mentioned, but uh, also in Kyrgyzstan uh, and Kazakhstan are visited by uh, many uh, religious pilgrims uh, from uh, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, and other countries of the region, uh, especially uh, to visit uh, 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 such cities as Samarkand, uh, Bukhara, and uh, Turkestan. Uh, I believe that uh, there are a lot of opportunities in uh, education as well. Uh, uh, Malaysia is or uh, Singapore and Malaysia is already uh, uh, participating in various uh, companies who uh, are having schools in Kazakhstan. For example, uh, Nazarbayev schools uh, were designated after the Singaporean model. And uh, we have also a very uh, developed, like uh, progressive uh, school system, like a uh, company, school company, Tamos, which was uh, also uh, initiated by the Malaysian uh, business. Uh, so there are a lot of opportunity uh, to open uh, such uh, uh, educational facilities, uh, both in uh, Kazakhstan and other Central Asian countries, uh, as, well, as well as vice versa. Uh, we, <laughs> if uh, there will be opportunity for our uh, uh, universities and research uh, like institutes to have the cooperation with local uh, partners, uh, we are ready to implement it. Thank uh, you thank so you very much. much. Thank you, thank you, Mr. Counselor. So we have our last question, uh, after which uh, Dinara, our chapter president, will de uh, deliver the closing note. So the question is from Dr. Asif Shuja, a Middle East Institute at NUS, uh, to our honorable counselor, Mr. Yerlan. Please, Dr. Asif, the floor is yours. Thank you so much. Uh, whenever I... Uh... Uh, you know, attend these kind of conferences. Uh, this actually uh, brings me to the bottom line of the entire, you know, existence of uh, or the development story of Singapore. Uh, because uh, you know what Singapore has been or what it has achieved, uh, it is primarily because it has ventured out to the territories where nobody has ventured. You know, uh, getting into the uh, terrain which is riskier, uh, to the terrain which which has untapped market, uh, which doesn't have matured market. These are the sentiments which were uh, reflected in one of the articles of our non-resident uh, uh, ambassador uh, to Kazakhstan, uh, Mr. Zulkifli Baharuddin, uh, who really uh, reflected all these sentiments very well, uh, that there is a need to focus on the mindset of the people of Singapore uh, to find out the avenues uh, lying there in the uh, Central Asia, Kazakhstan. You know? And it is uh, very much related to uh, the management story, which all of us here, you know, two management uh, uh, professionals were asked to sell shoes to an island where nobody wore shoes. You know, one of them said that, how can I sell it? Nobody wears shoes. The other said, oh, there's a huge amount of, you know, opportunities lying there. 
So I think what Singapore stands today, it is because of those activities of 40 years ago. So what we do today, it will actually pay us back 50 years hence. So my question to our honorable counselor is, uh, does he also uh, share the same viewpoint or does he also intend to work towards changing that mindset? Thank you so much. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Dr. Asif, uh, for uh, such a wonderful question. Uh, I believe that um, there are a lot of opportunities and uh, there is uh, no need to, uh, um, maybe, of course, uh, we need to work uh, uh, like uh, focusly uh, on uh, like selling uh, Central Asia and Kazakhstan on local market. Of course, it, uh, it goes uh, hand in hand with uh, and changing the mindset and stereotypes of uh, how Singapore uh, can work with uh, Central Asia and uh, Kazakhstan. But uh, of course, uh, we need uh, to be very frank and uh, to acknowledge that uh, for this, Kazakhstan and Central Asia will always uh, compete with the uh, neighboring uh, Southeast uh, Asian markets with Eastern, uh, East Asian markets with European markets and uh, with uh, Americans markets. Uh, there will be no discount for us uh, and nobody will uh, do any uh, like uh, advantages uh, for us just because we are Central Asian and we have a good political ties. Uh, we are very clearly understanding this situation and uh, I believe that Singaporean people are very pragmatic. Uh, they are seeing, they are doing business with those countries uh, where they uh, see benefits and uh, uh, the potential of growth. Uh, that's why uh, I think that uh, without uh, also uh, changing the mindset, not only uh, among the Singaporean uh, countries, but uh, also uh, among uh, the Central Asian countries, uh, we will not be uh, that uh, much uh, successful. Uh, and that is uh, the uh, bottom line understanding of the government of Kazakhstan that uh, without further reforms, we cannot uh, achieve uh, much progress. Uh, as I uh, mentioned in my uh, beginning, uh, that uh, government of Kazakhstan puts a very ambitious uh, targets uh, for uh, Kazakhstan development. Uh, by 2050, we are envision ourselves to become uh, a member of the club of uh, 30 most developed countries. That will not uh, come if uh, we will not uh, continue uh, our reforms, political, economical, social, and uh, other reforms as well. Uh, this uh, we are bringing to the, uh, our uh, table with uh, our neighboring countries as well. And uh, we are, uh, when we are talking to our neighboring countries, we always uh, are arguing for the need of the common market, uh, the, the uh, custom uh, barriers, uh, barriers and uh, any other barriers should be gone and that we, we should uh, see ourselves as a common market in, in the future. And uh, I believe that uh, Singapore is a very good experience, uh, has a very good experience and knowledge how to do it because Singapore is a, a, a very small country by itself. However, uh, the trade volume of Singapore is three times bigger than the uh, G GDP of Singapore. 
that means that uh, the amount of benefit that Singapore uh, is uh, making from uh, trade with uh, neighboring countries and with the other world is uh, giving more uh, benefits to every Singaporean than uh, just the production and uh, uh, investment in itself, uh, in uh, its own economy. Uh, we are looking for uh, Central Asian to become um, like uh, as much open uh, market as possible uh, to benefit uh, from the open and free uh, trade and to have a more uh, close uh, relations with uh, Southeast Asia and Singapore. Right. Thank you so much. I think it's very well put uh, in those words, the entire uh, objective and uh, overarching idea of the webinar. So on that note, I would like to end uh, the, the webinar and give the closing note uh, to the LQISPP uh, Central Asian Caucasus Alumni Chapter President, uh, Ms. Dinara Dadbaeva. She's a manager at Bureau for Continuing Professional Development. And with her note, we will finish this webinar. Thank you, Dinara. Uh, thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for to see all the amazing speakers that we had. Uh, special thanks to the Embassy of Kazakhstan in Singapore and the Councillor Mr. Yerlan Kubashev. Uh, back in the days of our studies, the Embassy was a piece of homeland where you always get treated a tasty Kazakh tea with milk. So it, it's a very heartwarming uh, memory. So thank you for that. And a uh, big uh, thanks to INCAR for taking the leadership role to organize and uh, initiate this conference at the first place, the forum. Um, as a closing note, I would like to restate uh, what we as a chapter do and uh, uh, both in the region and among alumni. So that uh, takes me to uh, sharing with you three different goals, main goals that we have as a chapter. So the first goal is to create value to our alumni so we started the chapter, very few number of us, into, back in 2017, to share different opportunities, employment, jobs, uh, conferences, and so on, among a small group of alumni. So since then, it has grew to um, a bigger um, uh, alumni network with bigger ambitions. Uh, those, so the second uh, goal that we have is to act as a bridge between LQI-SPP school and alumni. And um, we in a very good contact with the school and we provide different uh, opportunities again from the school to our alumni. And the last one that is the most important and that uh, takes us uh, to why uh, this forum happened in the first place is that we support the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy mission in the world by contributing to the development of leadership, strong governance and transformation to a more sustainable world. That sounds very ambitious, but uh, we have founded the chapter and uh, transformed the shape of it through the years by particularly having that mindset and the mission in, in our head. And uh, actually I'm very happy to see that Today's event uh, is the first event where we as a region gather uh, people, not only that are our alumni, but also from NUS Middle East Institute, um, people from uh, partners, Nazarbayev University, um, and 
previous alumni as well as well as the embassy. So uh, in fact, like I said, we want to be, we want to contribute to the transformation. We want to participate in different events, in different projects. Um, the ones that you have just described uh, existing, maybe the future ones, maybe we can create projects together. So this is actually why we have, uh, we have come here as a chapter and uh, looking forward to support this activities like this in the region. Uh, so without a further ado, thank you very much. Thank you, Inkar. Thank you, everyone. Um, and I hope, uh, thank you to support, to, to support our chapter in the first place. Thank you so and, much. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you. you. Uh, just to close this session, I would like to end on three points at all, as all SPP alumni do. I think we learned a lot about the existing opportunities that should be used between these regions, the Central Asia and ASEAN, to diversify our economic relationships, trade and education. Second, we also talked about the new ideas, expansion of the existing projects to other countries that should be developed. And I third, I think we also learned about the challenges that the regions have to overcome to use those existing opportunities and develop the new ones. Thank you everyone for joining our session today. Thank you, Mr. Yerlan. Thank you all the alumni and uh, the representatives of the Middle East Institute. Thank you, Prof. Alex, for coming up with the idea of the forum. We would love to share the recording with the Middle East Institute. We would also write a small report on this. Um, event on the LQISPP uh, alumni website. So stay tuned for that with us for more events. And thank you for joining us today. Uh, thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you. <laughs> Have, a good day. Have a good day. Have a great day. Ramadan Mubarak. Ramadan Mubarak. Thank you. Mubarak. Thank you. 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 Thank you.